Hello. I am doing the scripture reading for today. Uh, so if you guys will follow along with me, we're going to be in Acts 3. It's verses 1 through 10 that I will be reading. Um, so while you're turning there, my name is Amber Heinrichsen. If you don't know me, I'm married to Kent Heinrichsen, who's actually preaching today. And we also have a little girl. Her name is Mabel. Um, and she's almost eight months, and that time has really flown by. Uh, let's hear God's word. Acts 3, 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the first time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate, called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amber. Good morning. Welcome again to Crosspoint. I think I'm a little loud. For those who may not know me, um, like Amber said, my name is Kent. I'm the youth and college pastor here at Crosspoint. Uh, I'm glad that you have chosen to be here this morning with us to worship God. To start off, I, I want you to think, when you think of a time when someone said something that was way too crazy to be true. Something that seemed unrealistic. Maybe it was a claim that someone uh, physically made that they could do something with their bodies and it seemed almost physically impossible for that particular person to do. Maybe it was something someone promised in the future that seemed almost impossible to attain. Do you have something in mind? If not, here's a thought. Uh, what if I said I can juggle five chainsaws? This is obviously something that you should think is too crazy to be true. The appropriate response, the expected response to a claim like this should be two words. Prove it. Right? Prove it. If someone makes a claim that's way too crazy to be true, the expected response is to say, prove it. I want to see it. I want to see it for myself that you actually can do what you claim to do. Now, as a side note, I admit, I cannot juggle five chainsaws, nor do I intend to attempt to do any time in the future. So sorry to anyone who wanted me to prove it, um, but I hope you get the point of the illustration. This concept of doing an action to confirm a claim is seen actually throughout Scripture. 
and one that we're going to see this morning in our passage. We'll see this truth that God confirms through miraculous acts the people he has called and chosen to work through. God confirms through miraculous acts the people he has called and chosen to work through. We see this first in the Bible when uh, we come to the character of, of Moses as he and Aaron approach Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7. We see this in Exodus 7, uh, starting in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh, his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff and became a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Hope you see in this example uh, that you can sense that Pharaoh kind of has this prove-it attitude uh, toward Moses and Aaron's claim to be sent from God. And we see the Lord do a miraculous act to confirm that he is the one and only true God, that he did send Moses, and he does this as Aaron's staff becomes a snake. And even though the magicians were also able to produce snakes, Aaron's snake ate them, showing that the Lord is more powerful than any demonic activity. The next part in Scripture that we see this concept is uh, God confirming with a miraculous act that Joshua is the successor of Moses. We see this in Joshua 3, verses 7 through 8. The Lord spoke to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Here again we see the Lord doing an action in order for people to know truth. In this case, it was to know that Joshua was to be the successor of Moses. Later in the story, even though the Jordan blanks have, banks have flooded over, the priests step in with the ark, and the water splits, and the nation of Israel crosses on dry ground, just like the nation crossed dry ground through the Red Sea with Moses. We see a similar scenario again later in the Old Testament, as uh, Elisha is confirmed uh, from God as the successor of Elijah. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And as they, being Elisha and Elijah, walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into the heaven and, and the whirlwind, and Elisha watched. As, as Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel... When he could see him no longer, he took hold of his own clothes. He tore them in two, picked up the mantle that had fallen off of Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Eli that Elijah had dropped, and he struck the water. Where is the Lord, God of Elijah, he asked. He struck the water himself, and it parted to the right and the left, and Elisha crossed over. When the sons of the prophets from Jericho, who were observing him, saw this, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed down to the ground in front of him. Here again, we see an example of the Lord confirming through an action who he has chosen to work through. 
as Elisha has within him the same spirit that was in Elijah, and that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, the ultimate example of this concept that we see in Scripture is in Jesus' resurrection after being dead for three days in the tomb. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Acts 1, verse 1 says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He showed many convincing proofs. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, confirmed the greatest news of all time, that he being fully God, fully man, took himself upon himself the punishment of our sins as he sacrificed his life on the cross. And his resurrection three days later proved this truth. Jesus told people he would rise again. And by doing so, it confirmed everything he has said as truth. The truth that whoever trusts in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, the truth that God does love you, that God does forgive you of your sins, that he doesn't hold them against you, the truth that God desires to be with you forever. The resurrection confirms that what Jesus has said is truth. You see that in Gospel John, the Apostle John records these words of Jesus. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that, who, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And his resurrection proved that to be true. So needless to say, we see throughout Scripture this concept that God confirms through miraculous acts the people he has called and chosen to work through. Now we see this concept again in our passage today of Acts chapter 3. Now, if you have a Bible, please get there. As we as a church have been going through the book of Acts over the last couple of weeks, uh, in Acts 2 we see the Holy Spirit uh, um, come down and dwell believers at Pentecost. We read about thousands of people uh, coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and confessing him as both Lord and Savior of their lives. And then um, after this, we see the church grows. We see habits being formed by the apostles and the believers as they meet in the temple for worship. They share meals and they pray together. We see these all happening prior to our passage this morning. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see two main points I want you to note of. Two main points. One, the acts that testify the power of Jesus. There are acts that testify the power of Jesus. Actions that the apostle and believers do that they are testifying, that they're witnessing to the power of Jesus. And then secondly, that after these acts happen, that there is a declaration of the truth with boldness. That after these actions are taking place, we'll see a declaration of truth with boldness. Now, first... We see actions that testify the power of Jesus. Let's read Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1 together. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. 
A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. I just want to pause right here really quickly. I'm going to set this, this scene uh, just a little bit more. There should be um, a picture of Herod's temple. So in the first couple of verses, we see that Peter and John are going up to the temple. In verse 1, it says that it was 3 in the afternoon, which means that it was time for what the Jewish people practice as the evening sacrifice. So those who were devout Jews, those who practice uh, the, the law that um, followed and kept in practice with that, would go to um, the temple during this time for prayer and for the evening sacrifice. So if one were to be a beggar, you would want to sit at a particular gate, specifically this one. So this one is the gate that's called Beautiful, and people will come up through the court here, and they would go into the temple. So an ideal spot to sit as a beggar would be right there. Because the reality is there would be a line of thousands. I say thousands. I mean thousands of people trying to get into the temple courts. And then this line of people were the apostles Peter and John. Now let's keep reading as we see what happens in this interaction between Peter and John and this man. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Notice, Peter doesn't ask this man if he trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord um, before his healing. Peter looks at the man and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. It was God's appointed time to show this act. And if, if I had to guess, as, as Peter and John are getting closer to the gate, getting closer to the beggar, I bet he's even dismissing them a little bit and just looking past them to see who else is coming in line. And he's probably just asking a routine line of, you know, any change for the crippled and, hang, and, and holding out something that hopefully something gets put in there. But he's really probably not looking at Peter and John at this point. It must have taken him by surprise when Peter and John, not your ordinary Jewish men, you know, they're not there just to put in some coins. They're not here to try to earn God's favor by some works. No, not at all. Instead, these are fishermen who have encountered the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. They've experienced loving kindness from God, faithfulness of God, forgiveness from God. And these men have been given a mission to share the gospel with the people that they encounter. And here, right in front of Peter and John, is a great ministry opportunity. And so I'm sure it catches this beggar by surprise that they said, hey, look at us. And then the next words are, get up and walk. Let's keep reading and see what the beggar's reaction is, because 
It's got to be special. It's got to be priceless. Acts 3, verses 7 through 11. Verse 7 says this. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. And so he jumped up. He started praising and, sorry, he started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment of what had happened to him. And while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. Let's pause again here for a moment in our story. We see the beggar's reaction is one of praise, and rightfully so. Here we see a miracle that has turned this man's heart toward praise and adoration toward Christ. This is not just your average monotone. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. No, 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 no. Here is a 40-year-old man who has been crippled all of his life, and now he's walking, he's leaping, and he's praising God while doing so. And the crowd was stunned. Peter and John have caused such a commotion that they, when they went through the gate, can I have the picture? Thank you. When they went through the gate, um, man's here, he's begging, they heal him, they walk through the gate, and it says that the people, this is not working, they said that the people pushed them back to Solomon's colonnade, or in this picture it's called portico, and so they literally had to exit that gate and go to this side because there's so many people, they've caused such a great commotion that they leave the, the inner courts of the, the temple and they go to Solomon's colonnade. And verse 11 says, the people that were with them, that were watching this, ran toward the apostles. This is incredible. And, and can I, for just a small, quick moment, because I know I'm probably going to go a little bit longer, can I just have a quick Bible geek out moment and, and share something that's super cool in here? Can I just do that real quick? Okay, real quick, real quick. This location of Solomon's Colonnade that you see over there is not just a random place on the Temple Mount. Like, this is not just, oh, they randomly went there. Like, it gets really cool, guys, I promise. Jesus, no more than six months ago, prior to this event, had an encounter with the Jews worshiping at the Temple. This is recorded in John chapter 10. John 10, 22 through 30 says this. When the festival, the dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter, Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in, sus in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the, the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. From this cross-reference, 
we actually see that the story in Acts chapter 3 is where, again, we see God confirming through miraculous acts the people he has called and chosen to do his work. Do you see it? John chapter 10, Jesus says, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. In Acts chapter 3, we see the apostles doing a miracle in the same vicinity of Solomon's colonnade, and the results of these actions is that they testify to the power of Jesus Christ. I don't know. For me, I thought that was pretty cool. There's my Bible geek out moment. Okay. This miraculous act by Peter leads to an opportunity to, uh, for a declaration of truth with boldness. Here we get to our second point of, that we see in this passage, that, uh, uh, that this opportunity, these actions lead to a declaration of truth with boldness. Acts chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Let's pick this back up and read. When Peter saw this happening, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You've killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this by faith in his name. His name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him his perfect health in front of all of you. Let's pause here again for a moment. These five verses that we see Peter uh, proclaiming with boldness as he declares the truth of a reality, the reality of a sin problem that the Jewish people at that time were guilty of. See, in the context of the story, just a couple months ago, just a couple months ago, not that long ago, a couple months ago, you know, some of these people who were present were the same people who were yelling for Jesus to be crucified. They were guilty of partaking in the killing of Jesus, the Son of God. This was their outward action, which revealed a much more deeper sinful problem in their inward attitude. They were guilty of wanting something else over having a right relationship with God. This is something that all humanity is guilty of. All humanity is guilty of. When I say all, I, I mean all. We are all guilty of wanting something else over God. We all have idols in our hearts that we would rather run to instead of running to God. We are all guilty of saying, no, no God, not this area of my life. Maybe other areas, yes, but not this area. I want to say yes to this, something else that I think I can have joy in other than you. We are all guilty. I know 
I'm guilty of this every day. I battle with the idols of my heart every single day. There are things that I want to do in my day, so either I choose not to spend time with God reading his word or praying, or I uh, do it in a way that reflects um, quantity time, not quality time, and so that I can just rush it, get it done, and move on to something else in my day, like as if somehow the rest of my day is also separate from enjoying God and glorifying him throughout my day, when in reality, all of my life, no matter task at hand, no matter season of life, what's going on in that moment, what I'm doing, all of that should be spent enjoying God and enjoying Him forever. And it's when I see what God calls me to and where I'm actually at is that I see a need for a Savior every single day. Praise God that he doesn't leave us to deal with our own sin problems on our own. Praise God that it's not up to us to clean up our sinful mess. Praise God that there is hope in Christ. As we continue, we see Peter doesn't stop with their sin problem in this passage. He continues to present the gospel. He gives hope. So let's keep reading. Verses 17 through 26 of chapter 3. 17 through 26. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent. Turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him for a time until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days, you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you away from your evil ways. It's in this part of our passage that we see hope. It's here in this part of Peter's sermon that we see good news. Verse 17, or verse 19, rather, says, Repent and turn back so that your sins can be wiped out. The good news is that if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge them, bring them before God, He is faithful to forgive us. We know this. First John 1 8 through 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we're convicted of sin in our lives, when we're convicted of choosing something over choosing God, we confess it. 
when we confess it, God is faithful to forgive. We don't have to try to uh, provide the atoning work for our sin in order to be in a right relationship with God. Jesus has already done that on the cross, loved ones. All we're asked to do is to confess truth, confess our sin, turn to God. And the hope is that when we do that, verse 26 says this amazing truth. Jesus will bless each of you by turning you away from your evil ways, from your sin, from the idol of your heart that you deal with, from that addiction, from that selfishness, from that sinful anger. This brings us hope because it is God who works in us to say no to our sin. God doesn't just forgive us and then leave us to battle our sin on our own. No, 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 no. Instead, God is the one who empowers us to say no to our sin when we turn to him. Praise be to God. All glory belongs to God when we see our victory over sin in our lives and the lives of others. It's all because of him. And the reality is that when we experience this in our own lives, this should lead us to declare truth of the gospel with boldness, no matter the consequences. And this is what we see from Peter and John. Because in these last verses, something happens to them. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is the last couple of verses of our passage this morning. Acts 4, verses 1 through 4 say this. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Here we see Peter and John, who have experienced miraculous acts that confirms God choosing them to work through them in the New Testament church and to be continued to be on mission to spread the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. Because of this, they declare the truth of Jesus, the reality of the resurrection with boldness, no matter the consequences. For them, this reality that Jesus rose again from the dead gripped their lives and they can't be silent. They're compelled to share it, even if it means persecution. Being arrested, being imprisoned. For the Apostle Peter, we know that he would actually end up being crucified upside down on a cross for his faith in Christ. The Apostle John would be exiled to the island of Patmos because he couldn't stop sharing the truth. They saw, they knew it to be true, they had faith, and they trusted God with the result, no matter the consequences. For those who confess Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, the same should be said of us today. For those who confess Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, the same should be said of us today. Yeah, I know it's about 2,000 years later, but guess what? God is still very much at work in His church. He is still confirming through miraculous acts that he has chosen the church to be on mission, to spread the gospel. Yeah, miraculous acts that can be the sign gifts, yes, in certain situations, given the context, but not limited to those sign gifts. 
I believe we see these miraculous acts in the everyday life of a believer. People being changed by the gospel. In my time here at Crosspoint, which is a little over four years, I've seen marriages healed. People who used to only care about themselves starting to truly care and love about the needs of others. People overcoming addictions. People who were once timid and shy about sharing the gospel, going public with their faith and sharing the gospel boldly with others around them. These things don't just happen. They are a work of the Holy Spirit that resides in every believer. And these miraculous acts, they testify to the power of Jesus. And this should motivate us to declare the gospel truth with boldness. That in our everyday rhythms of life, we should be sharing that Jesus is the Son of God. That he died on the cross as atonement for your sins and mine. He was resurrected on the third day, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And there will be people who will look at you like you're crazy. They will look at the claim that you just made and say, that is way too crazy to be true. Prove it. Prove it. Are you, am I, ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you? Are you ready to give reasons why you believe what you believe? Why we know it to be true? Does your life and actions speak of the work of the gospel in your life? Can you prove it? Let's be a people church that shows and tells of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we follow Jesus in our everyday lives, let's prove it to the world. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the evidence that we, we can see, that we know, that we can know for certain. God, that you love us. You're real. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and rising again on the third day, confirming and proving that all you said was true. God, I pray for myself. I pray for us as a church that this truth wouldn't just sit with us, that it would motivate us to go out into the context that you have placed us in, the families, the workplaces, the community that, communities that we live in, and we would show and tell the gospel that people desperately need. God, give us the words to speak in those situations, guide our conversations, God, grow in us a desire to see those opportunities and to step in those boldly. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we close, I just want to read one more passage for you. 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, 
those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, that that should be God's will than for doing the evil. This week is the church. Let's go show and tell to the world around us the good news, the gospel of Christ, living in us, the spirit dwelling within us, and sharing that the people can be changed, that they can be in a right relationship with God.